Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steffi. I am excited to be joined by my friend, Angelique Shingelis from the Detroit News, who covers Michigan, ahead of this Iowa-Michigan Big Ten Championship game rematch. Angelique, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks, John. And, and you know, Roger Federer just retired uh, last weekend, so he's here, too. He's here for the podcast. Really impressed that he can make the trip you know, to Detroit already, you know, <laughs> and not moving at all in the background. <laughs> no, big college football fan he is. Yeah. So he's really wow. looking forward to this barn burner that uh, we're going to see in <laughs> Iowa City. Well, let's start with Michigan's offense. It seems to be the matchup that's to be Michigan's offense versus Iowa's defense. Iowa's familiar with Blake Corum a little bit from the Big Ten Championship game, but J.J. McCarthy, what should Iowa fans expect to see from him? Well, definitely a little bit of a different wrinkle with, with J.J. Sophomore, who made his first first career start in game two, and now this is his first road start. So I'm curious to see how he adjusts to that because, you know, Kinnick is – I mean, I've talked to Michigan players from way back, and they've all said that Kinnick is maybe the hardest place to play. I mean, they, you know, Penn State with the whiteout. Ohio stadium, of course, but, but Kinnick is, uh, you know, they talk about it and it's like, they feel like they're lucky when they get out of there with a win because it's so brutal. So I'm curious to see how JJ does with that. Um, but I think, you know, you're going to see, I think they're, they're going to, JJ had some issues last week. I mean, he fumbled twice. He, they he didn't lose the fumbles. They, they were managed to, to recover those. He had a pick that the defender caught out of bounds. So he had some mistakes, some miscues. Um, I think they have to, that's probably what they're working to tighten going into this game against this kind of defense that, as you know, really does take advantage of any, any team's mistakes. So um, I, I suspect Michigan will have a mistake or two. I, I do with a, with a young quarterback and that's not disparaging JJ. It's just, I, I think that that kind of environment can rattle anybody. But I, I think you're going to see Blake Corum again, obviously doing what Blake Corum does. But I, I think you, Donovan Edwards missed the last two games, John, and, and I think he will be fine. I think he could have played last weekend. They wanted to, to rest his leg a little bit. So I think that they'll be able to have that two-prong attack in the run game. And uh, I think they'll probably try to control the ball that way more than having J.J. kind of pull out some miracle throws. And it's interesting that you bring up the turnovers, considering how night and day that's been for Iowa, where the two games where they were either tied or lost the turnover margin, they only outscored their opponents 14 to 13. And in the other two games is 54 to 10. So that tells you just how big holding on to the ball will be. And how much protection does Blake Corum get or how much blocking is he going to get at the line of scrimmage, Michigan, obviously with an award-winning offensive line last year, what should Iowa fans expect to see this year? Well, I mean, that is a great question. And, you know, I think it, it won the Joe Moore award last year with two pieces missing now, but I think they, they definitely have an upgrade at center. And, and again, I, I don't say that to disparage Andrew Vistardis, who was a center last year, but Olu, Olu Atemi, the graduate transfer from Virginia was a finalist for the Remington He's been very good. Then they have a new right tackle in Trent A. Jones, who has taken a few licks. You know, it's 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 not been a perfect start for him as a starter. 
And in those early games when, you know, they were bloating their, their scoring offense, I mean, they lead the nation, but I think everybody knows that against Colorado state, Hawaii and, and UConn, you and I could have probably scored a couple touchdowns, but <laughs> um, you know, they left him in a lot when they were taking out the starters, they left Trent a in to, to get more game reps, get more experience. And he does look like he's getting better. And on the left side, they've had some injury issues. Uh, Ryan Hayes, the starting left tackle, didn't make the, the first game start. He's back, uh, but they did lose their sixth guy. And, you know, he could be back, Carson Barnhart. He's a guy who's very versatile. And uh, I, I think he's actually a much more vital piece than, than people seem to think. And then Trevor Keegan, who has been their starting left guard, has missed the last couple games. And you know, Jim Harbaugh is playing the little game. He could be probable. He could be questionable. You know, it, it's no one knows exactly. So they have a young guy, a redshirt freshman, uh, Gio El Hadi, who's a local guy playing. And, and he's getting better with more reps. But you certainly want to see you want to see Trevor Keegan in there if you can, if you're Michigan. So the line's good. It's not as good as I think all of us were saying, oh, you know, with these additions, it's going to be Joe Moore Award team plus. And it hasn't been that yet. And uh, they got to get better in pass protection. They've got to be better. And they lost Eric all. I mean, he hasn't been playing. It's been an unspecified injury, but you know, it doesn't sound like he's going to be playing this weekend. And uh, he's been pretty important to this too. So um, they're missing key pieces, but they should be getting at least Donovan Edwards back. And then on the other side of the ball, obviously no Aiden Hutchinson, no David Ajabo. Iowa fans are probably breathing a deep sigh of relief at that, but still seems to be some people who can give you trouble, including Mozzie Smith, who Kirk Ferentz described as a refrigerator, except he can move. Just let that picture just sit in your head. I've been seeing this big block with arms sticking out running. And that does, I think, very, that's a very good description of Mozzie. And, and I watched him a lot last week, John. I mean, he's, he is definitely taking on double teams and he was a little more effective. I think he was getting frustrated the first couple of games and it was in the, the first half and Maryland had some momentum and Michigan really hadn't been able to get to their quarterback. And, and finally, you know, he, there was a tackle for loss. I, I think it was their first one the game and it was late in the, in the first half and, and it was Mozzie Smith and and really kind of stifled them there they did settle for a field goal but um but he is definitely someone to watch and and I think there are a couple other guys like Chris Jenkins who can be up and down I mean I think he I thought he would be someone who'd be really consistent force he'll get there I think and uh, but the pass rush is not you know it's not what as you described it's not Hutchinson and Ojabo and I don't know why anybody would have thought they could be replaced because that was a lot of production 25 sacks between them and you know you look at that first game against Colorado State they had seven sacks Michigan had some Colorado State I believe is at least I looked the other day they're last in the in the country in sacks allowed so again I think you and I could have probably gotten a sack (laughs) (laughs) um but and that is being disparaging. So I should stop since I'm trying not to disparage anybody, but um, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's a work in progress, but um, I, what I, what I've been surprised with, with Michigan's defense is their secondary and they've played a lot better than I thought they would. And maybe one of the, the most impressive decisions Jim Harbaugh has made was moving Mike Samristil, who'd been a receiver his first three, three seasons to the defensive back. And 
he's been like he had their first sack of the season he got another sack the other day I mean he's really impressive and a guy who's just all over the place makes plays and Junior Colson their linebacker those are the guys I would watch if if I were uh, if I were trying to tell someone from Iowa who would key in who key in on and I think it'll be an interesting matchup too with that Michigan secondary against Spencer Petrus because Petrus has been far from perfect. The last two games have looked better, but also you're going up against Nevada and Rutgers. Take whatever you want out of that that you want. And he only, even against Rutgers, only found wide receivers one time for a five-yard completion. So maybe some opportunities here for this Michigan secondary. Well, and they they really did come into this season with, with Steve Klinkscale, their coach, saying they have got to up the the turnovers and they had two big ones last week two big interceptions and um you know it is something that they're taking pride in and talking a lot about and uh yeah I mean everyone is talking about Iowa's defense and rightfully so but I I think Michigan can generate those kind of turnovers and they can take advantage of them um they've had one defensive uh they had a scoop and score and did they have a touchdown return they I think they've had one or two defensive scores I don't know why I'm I'm blanking on the other one but definitely the one so not prolific like in like Iowa's defense <laughs> I saw someone you tweeted someone change the name of Iowa to IDWA I thought that was pretty yeah good. that was really good yeah that's good that's good because I think that's very fitting and I love a great defense I mean I always have and you know you go back to it's the 25th anniversary of Michigan's 97 team that that won the AP national title and I mean, they had Charles Woodson, but that defense was tremendous. I mean, you know, they had some big guys up front and, and I, you know, they would basketball, you hear it more in basketball defense wins championships, but I mean, I'm, I'm always a big fan of it. So maybe it's not as, as sexy, but I think it's gonna be fun to watch how this defense approaches JJ McCarthy and these guys. Oh yeah. And you look at it, Cooper DeGene, somebody who said, interceptions in his last three games three interceptions in a four game stretch that's a pretty impressive stat there and I think people expected Riley Moss to be who Riley Moss is as Big Ten defensive back of the year but having Cooper DeGene there is a different x factor there and it's also especially needed depending on Terry Roberts status if he's out maybe that's a little less depth there in the secondary for Iowa. Well, and I told you before we started the podcast, we had a chance to speak with Matt Weiss on, on Wednesday. He's Michigan's co-offensive coordinator. He works with quarterbacks and he was talking about Iowa's defensive personnel and, and he singled out Cooper thinking he could be the best of the, of the group. And he had about four or five guys he thinks, and this is a guy who was on the Ravens staff. So he thinks a lot in terms of who can make that, that jump to the NFL and he thinks that uh, Cooper DeGene is, uh, I, I, I made it a softer J, DeGene, <laughs> is uh, a guy who could really have an NFL future and, and thinks he, he could very well be the best of, of the bunch here. And incredible to think he's only a sophomore. So yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're going to have more of the same, I think. I think, you know, that was one thing Harbaugh gave a little history lesson about Iowa's defense. I'm sure you saw the the comments he was making Monday about the Parkers and it's the Parker system. And um, you know, that is something that's going to be in place for a while. And it's, it's, 
but I think that they've been able to adjust with the times too. It's not like when you look at Wisconsin's offense, I don't think you see a lot of change in Wisconsin's offense, but I think you've seen Iowa's defense adjust when it's needed to adjust to these different offenses that, that uh, the Hawkeyes face. Oh yeah. When you bring up the lack of adjustments that might bring up a sore spot for some people seeing the offense. So (laughs) that. It's a different story, but the defense, when you have like the emergence of the cash position as basically their nickel safety, Mm -hmm. you know, they've done the little things to be able to still keep up. And like at the combine last year is incredible how like the common theme I'd be hearing from players who played against Iowa is that, you know what you're going to get, but it's just Mm -hmm. that well executed. So that's the thing. I mean, like people talk about, oh, they should hide this or hide that. I mean, you look at Iowa has, their cards are on the table. They, you know what you're going to get, but they do it, like you said, so well, so fundamentally sound that they are going to beat you. I mean, that's, you know what what we're doing, but we are going to be better at it. And um, I, I love that approach. I mean, I think that's, that's a great, that's just, I mean, I'm a big fan of it. And, um, so I, I really, I do. And we talked about predicted scores and maybe we'll talk about that later, but I think this defense is, is really to be feared. And that's again, not diminishing what, what Michigan's offense can do because there is great potential there. I think you saw it in Indianapolis last year, different quarterback though. You had Hassan Haskins, you had those different pieces on the offensive line that they all gelled together. And, um, so it's different personnel, but certainly capable with, with JJ McCarthy and, and his athleticism, but has he faced this, you know, he hasn't yet. And he hasn't been on the road. I I think that's another thing, you know, it's going to be hard to communicate in there. Uh, I was asking a couple of players about that this week and they talked about Nebraska last year, the night game that they were literally next to each other, screaming at each other. And they, they suspect that's what will happen on, on Saturday at Kinnick. Yeah. Sellout crowd and, the first time that they've played there since the North End Zone renovation, I believe. Well, so that's 16. made things. I think of louder. it as the, I think of it as the upset in in 2016 with that field goal, and that's the last time Michigan played there. And I, I believe Wilton Spate came out of there with his shoulder dinged up and uh, wasn't quite fully healthy for the Ohio State game. So that 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 Iowa game, Iowa has not treated Michigan very well their <laughs> last four meetings. Well. Michigan got the better hand in Indy last year, but for the most part there. And I think if it boils down to one matchup, I think it's going to be Blake Corum versus this Iowa defense. Interesting. I see. I I look at it as JJ McCarthy. I think, I mean, I think Blake Corum, he added 11 pounds in the off season. He, I mean, he had 30 carries last week, which was not, they don't want their backs to carry the ball 30 times. I know. And he gets a little defensive when you ask him about, well, you know, is it to be more durable? You added the weight and he's like, I could always handle it. And yeah, I probably could. But then he finally sort of said, well, yeah, but the 11 pounds that helps. And so I I think that, that he's durable. And I think if, if you have Donovan Edwards there, that's going to give them a different option. I mean, he's a guy who can catch out of the backfield and so can Blake, but that's more of Donovan's thing. Um, I just, I really, and, and I think JJ McCarthy, I started calling him sunshine this week in my head, you know, like <laughs> remember the Titans, he's just got this sort of like laid back, you know, he's really competitive, but you just wonder if he has a pulse sometimes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious how he's going to, 
how he's going to look down and face face this this defense and what he can do against them. Oh yeah, and you look at it, you see kind of both sides of quarterbacks who've gone into Kinnick and succeeded. Hunter Deckers a couple of weeks ago did pretty well, and then others not so much. Where South Dakota State was rather proud of their quarterback and. Bernowski didn't have such a great day. Of course, J.J. McCarthy is another level of athlete versus Mark Bernowski. He is, but, you know, he's, he does. He is high risk, high reward, too. And you don't want to be risky against this defense. So, I, I you know, if they, they're going to attempt to pass. I mean, I want to see <laughs> if if they let him go. And, and I think that there was some thought last week. He did throw downfield a couple times. He overthrew Andrell Anthony. I, I thought Andrell slowed down on one of the routes. And so I wasn't putting it all on JJ, but he was like, you know, it's the first time my shoulder felt really good. You know, he missed all of spring ball because of the shoulder. And it was sort of like, I didn't realize my own strength kind of comment. But I think that they will unleash him. I mean, I think that they, I think some of the conversations they've had, it, it almost makes it sound like, they, he started thinking too much because they were telling him too many things. So I think they want JJ to be JJ and JJ's a playmaker with his legs, with his arm. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think it'll be, I, I mean, I think he's up to it, up to the task, but he certainly hasn't faced a defense like that, like this, this year and, and probably won't the rest of the year. And that's the other interesting dynamic about this game is it's really both teams toughest game of the year. Because what was it? Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, and Maryland, I think, if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then Iowa had South Dakota State, which is a respectable FCS team, but still an FCS team. A down Iowa State team that they lost to. A really down Nevada team. And then Rutgers, which is Rutgers. So it's maybe a little bit of the first time to really see what each of these teams are capable of against kind of higher tier competition. That's very fair. I I think it's a really fair uh, statement. And, and I just had this pop into my head. I had another former um, Michigan player text me the other day and referred to going to Kinnick as the Bermuda triangle of, of college football. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, I think there is just this sort of fear of going there too. And, and they certainly don't want to tell the current players about it. But when you talk to the, the guys who have played there, I mean, there was one guy I talked to, he was telling me that the way the stadium's designed, they're like, the fans seem like they're on top of you. And when he was playing, this would have been late eighties. He said the fans were like really educated on the players and, and <laughs> saying all sorts of trash to them and like specific trash to, and designed to to get in under their skin and um so with that in mind i mean i do think that that obviously gives iowa an edge iowa an edge there but you're right they both haven't been tested um maybe their statistics are a little inflated by the competition they they face certainly michigan's offensive i mean they're scoring against those teams you know 50 50 point games but um i i think you see I think you at least you see on on when you watch an Iowa game that the defense is pretty legit. Yeah. And okay, maybe it won't look quite as dominant against Michigan, but you still have at one point you had three NFL caliber linebackers. Now with Jason Jacobs out, you probably only have two NFL caliber linebackers. So only two there. Only two. What oh, essentially operates is a four two five. Mm-hmm. 
So you've got that. So that'll be an interesting matchup to say the least. I will say this too, John. I, I think, and, and maybe I'm overstating this, I think it is fortunate for Michigan the game is at 11 a.m. versus a, a night kickoff. Um, I've been I've been there when it's a night game, and I mean, most stadiums a night are pretty daunting. They just take on a different level of, of being daunting, and I, I think that plays, it suits Michigan better, and they've been playing. I think this is their um, – yeah, I mean it's their fourth noon game out of five. I know you've had like all you know prime time starts, but I was um, say just... that sounds like I'm jealous of that. All those <laughs> noon starts, like you well, don't you know, have to be writing us... at four a.m. Well, we've both had uh, weather delays for our night games, haven't we? Yeah, because I Hawaii was delayed an hour, so oh I yeah, I forgot three. about that. Yeah, so but not quite as bad as yours. And I know I told you this when uh, you had your the you know the lightning game and kept going and going and for Iowa I went to sleep and I woke up probably it was probably 2 30 Detroit time and I checked check Twitter because that's what you do when you wake up in the middle of the night and you were like tweeting from the press conference (laughs) (laughs) wow so that's crazy so I don't think we'll have my prediction is zero lightning delays. Okay, good. For this you've, game. Now you've jinxed it. Way to go. All sunny. Way to go. So if I jinx it, you can all blame me. Okay. Send all the hate notes to the Gazette and they'll eventually get to me. So I'm excited though, too, John. And I wrote about it today, the Iowa Wave. I mean, I, I'm like, I mean, I, I just love that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I've gone with the Michigan players to the Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor when they, pre-pandemic, when they would visit. And you see the little kids light up. And so I wrote a little story. And I know it's different now, post-pandemic. It's not as many kids in the press box cafe. But I did talk to J.J. McCarthy about it, who um, last year donated like $11,000 to, uh, he has a foundation for kids. Most of it goes to the Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor and in Chicago near his home. But he also made donations to all the um, hospitals on the road for the like at Michigan State. He made a donation, Maryland. And he said he's going to have a special one for the Iowa Children's Hospital. But he was like, you know, he was like genuinely enthusiastic, couldn't wait to uh, be able to participate in the wave. And I, I think do people in the press box wave? They do not. So people in the TV booth do. So this probably makes us writers seem all like jerks as I say that. Like I never dawned on me that wait a second, nobody in the press box does wave. (laughs) So you're in the press box cafe. Do we wave from press box to press box? (laughs) Like elevation wise, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, I would think so. I would think no. so. But I'm really excited about that. I really am. And maybe it makes me sound like a softy, but I guess I am. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you see a lot of the opposing teams get into it. And I think the team that's gotten into it the most is Minnesota. Like oh, wow. they will like run because like where you are with the visiting sideline, you can kind of get a good angle at the hospital. Oh, yeah. But if you step a little bit into the field, you get a better angle. Mm-hmm. as I go back to geometry. So I should have been <laughs> thanking my geometry teacher in 10th grade for this, <laughs> but like the Minnesota players, like it seemed like you blinked and they were already like a third of the way across the field to be able oh, wow. to be in prime waving position. 
that's so, neat. That's really yeah. neat. It's one of the things too that like when I'm visiting family from outside of Iowa, extended family, like it's one of the first things that people connect with when they hear Iowa football. So no, isn't that nice? That's a really nice thing to be connected to. I mean, it's like Wisconsin would jump around, but that's different. I mean, this is, you're doing something for these little kids in the hospital. And um, when I spoke to Emily Baxter at the, at the Iowa hospital, she was saying that like literally everybody stops and waves security guards around the stadium. I mean, everybody does it. And, uh, but of course the reporters don't. So that's going to change on Saturday. <laughs> this is going to be the start of the change of the tradition. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a less heartfelt note, mm. do you have a score prediction? I do. I wrote it down. 17, 13. I have Michigan winning. I have Michigan winning as well. 24 to 10. So mm. a little less faith in the Iowa offense. You know, we didn't talk about special teams. I mean, oh, I, how did we got, forget this with two I mean, of Michigan, the best special teams? They're both are really good. Yeah. I mean, Michigan has an all American kicker. Yeah. I mean, the, the Groza award winner, but you know, they've had, they've blocked a punt this year. Uh, they had the, the ball bounced off the Maryland kid on the, on the opening kickoff and Michigan recovered it. So they've been kind of the Iowa defense taking advantage of, of those kind of miscues and, and really, um, doing a really good job on it. But um, I was asking Jay Harbaugh, who coordinates Michigan special teams about Iowa's punter. And he was just like beside himself raving about, you know, what kind of athlete he is. So that's going to be really, I, you know, I, I think that this kind of game comes down to something like that. Oh yeah. And it's like a special teams connoisseurs in Iowa city are kind of spoiled <laughs> these two weeks because last week was, the punt-a-thon, as I was calling right. it, because it was Tory Taylor against Adam Korsak, who, right. okay, maybe two of the best punters in college football. And now you have another really well-coached special teams unit with Michigan coming in. And Iowa, I think it's been now three of the last four weeks they've had the Big Ten special teams player of the Is that week. right? I didn't even, I didn't notice. And, and Michigan's got a really good punter in, in Brad Robbins, and he and Jake Moody the kicker came back they had you know they used their extra year and um they he's really good and and both of them are you know we're talking about the the hospital wave I mean, both of them are kicking for different um cancer charities so that's been kind of cool what they've been doing um but you know I think what what made Jake Moody so good last year is that their red zone off I mean they just were not great in the red zone early I mean they'd go probably through uh, the Michigan State game last year, maybe Nebraska, and he had a lot of, of of big kicks. And he hasn't had that kind of work this year, but that doesn't mean he's any less uh, less imposing. But I think. And if there's a game good. where you're gonna have a lot of kicks, mm -hmm. this seems to be the likely one against yeah. this Iowa defense and this Iowa offense in general is gonna be relying on a lot of field goals just based on their own challenges with the red zone. I like, forgot what exactly their rank is in red zone office, but I was looking at it the other day and I believe is sub 100 by a good extent there. Like they are in so many other offensive stats. So, yeah, I know. I mean, I look at those stats and I'm like, gosh, it's, you know, not very, but you know, the defense has definitely covered up some of those blemishes. Um, and, you know, I, I was also looking at Michigan's third downs this season. They have not been all that efficient. 
And, you know, they, and the other thing that they did last year when they had their, their terrific run is it was like, I looked eight, eight, eight regular seasons, eight of the regular season games, they came out in the second half and scored right away on their first series. And, you know, last week when they had a chance to, they had scored with 22 seconds left before halftime against Maryland, they had a chance coming out of, of halftime to score and they just got real conservative and, um, I, you know, I think that that's, it's important if you're going to kind of step on an opponent to come out in the second half and, and they haven't. And, um, I, so I think that there's definitely some flaws there, Michigan's offense. So I, I don't want to pile on Iowa because <laughs> I, I think Michigan, even though the, the statistics are gaudy, I think when you look a little bit underneath it all, there, there, there are definitely some issues, not, not glaring, but some, mm-hmm. And isn't it also interesting with the Michigan situation with the two offensive coordinators? I think it was the TV commentators are saying something about, okay, but who has the final call on this? I have been asking Jim Harbaugh this since the spring. And I asked him this. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely spring ball. And he starts rattling off, like he starts naming. He kept saying it's collaborative. And I'm like, well, what do you mean exactly by collaborative? And he starts naming every offensive coach on the staff and I said yeah I know who's on your staff I said who's calling plays and he's like oh oh you want to know who's calling plays I'm like yes that's what I want to know and they don't really tell you and um I think that there's some perception here that Matt Weiss calls the plays I think it's Sharon Moore who's calling the ball I think you've got Matt Weiss who was the analytics guy with the Ravens I think he's doing more of of like third third down calls. I think that they're collaborating that way. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I get Harbaugh said earlier in the, in the year, you know, he doesn't like that cliche. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And cause his point was, well, Michigan has two really good quarterbacks. I think if you have two coordinators, you don't have one. And I, I think that's, I, I've just always believed you got to have one guy and, um, and maybe I'm wrong, but um, I, I think that's, I think it makes it's too many cooks in the kitchen. So that's my piece. And Joel Klatt sounded like he sort of had a similar, like he, no one was answering him. On yeah. This. Which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. Like Iowa fans aren't crazy about the person who is calling the right. plays, but at least you have a clear person who's able to make that decision. Right. Well, mostly make that decision maybe with Kirk stepping in here and there on big decisions, but which is fair. I mean, yeah. the head coach can do that. So, yeah. but yeah, it's an interesting, and that was one of the routes that I think a lot of people would have maybe wanted Iowa to go would be to have two co-offensive coordinators. That's because they don't like the one who's big. Pretty primary. much. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, exactly it. So I get it. I get it. But I mean, I just think it's, it makes it very convoluted. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, they game plan all week. They have a run game coordinator. They also, you know, they have, so they get their game plan ready. Um, but it's, it's when you try to ask either one of them, Stromor or Matt Weiss, they just won't play. They won't play the game and they won't tell you anything. So um, that's my hunch. People have different feelings about it, but I think Stromor is the primary play caller and Matt Weiss is not. And he comes in on third down and, and when analytics, when they use analytics, he's the guy. Which there are benefits to having analytically based offenses and such, you know, some of these words might be foreign concepts 
in Iowa's offense in terms of being a little more traditional, run the ball, establish the run, et cetera, and then go based on that rather than kind of the money ball style. Mm -hmm. But we'll see the two styles clash on Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you and I'm looking forward to the wave. Really looking forward to the wave. That's like, but you know, and I love the Bluebird Cafe. So that's what I want to, I want to make my little stops in, in Iowa City that I like. Cause I love, I, I think it's a really, uh, really nice place to visit. Oh yeah. You know, I brag all the time about Iowa City to my friends. So it's great. And the one time I drove, I think I got kind of lost and I drove behind the campus, I think where the art school is. And yeah. it's like, there's a change in topography. I'm like, wait, there's like hills here. I mean, it's like, it was really <laughs> pretty. So um, no, I, I really enjoy going there. So Iowa, not as flat as you think. Not at all. Not at all. And uh, very fun. So yes. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. I, I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to doing this, I hope, next year. Yes, based on whatever the schedule is. <laughs> so, and thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. Mike and I will be back with another edition of Hawk Off the Press after the final score after Saturday's game. game. Hawk Off the Press. I do love that. Thank you. It's very clever. Thank you. I wish I could take credit. It was before my time. But I'll still go ahead and take credit. You should. So, but we'll be back with another episode Saturday after the game. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.